Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? It's yet another episode of Help from Future Self, a conversational KeyForge podcast recorded in Vancouver, British Columbia by KeyForge pals and hopefully listened to by KeyForge fans all around the world. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined as always by my KeyForge... KeyForge? My KeyForge compadres. We got the wheeling KeyForger, Rick. Hey, what's up, all? And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, everyone. How's it going? Key fudge. I wish we named episodes because that would be a good one. Um, yeah. We are well into prep up for Vancouver's next prime season. Uh, we had a great turnout at Chainbound at Rain City here in Vancouver last night, Monday night, and people were bringing out the sauce. Gentlemen, how did your games go last evening? Uh, okay. <laughs> Were you in my boat, Rick? I went one and three. Same. What about yourself, Blake? I did pretty good. I went three and one. It was uh, it was fun. My deck did what it was supposed to. And the cool thing was, is I have a main strategy in my deck, which I'm not talking about because I know people who will be at our prime uh, listen to our podcast. And uh, it, I was able to not play the main strategy I identified and see the other ways that the deck like runs itself and that was great experience had four chains on it as well so i got to play with a little bit of chains and see how that affects it uh it doesn't and uh yeah it's uh it's still a fantastic deck i'm really enjoying playing it and i just want to put more and more reps on it now and really uh, get to know it i've definitely identified it as one of my my favorites so w- what would you say the 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 over under is on this deck being the one that you bring uh out in february to play at the the uh the prime no comment all right. Interesting. Ooh. Interesting. Uh, I know in, from listening to Sanctimonious and also chatting with you and listening to our own podcast where you discussed it last week that you did a lot of prep for the one that you went down to in Lacey uh, and that you and Dan ended up being matched together after having spent a lot of time prepping for the event, playing your decks against each other. Is this a scenario that you're worried about this time out? Yes and no. I've, I'm not sure I'm going to bring it out again. I thought about it. Um, I want less people to see it because I don't want people to figure out the tricks of the deck so i wanted to bring it out on a night when people were bringing heat and i wanted to bring it with some change so i got an idea uh i i would ideally like to bring it more but i don't think i can do that without letting people like really see the deck and what it does so i i think i'm gonna have to pump the brakes on on that idea because yeah it's in adaptive one of the the aspects of it that's so fun and and exciting in many different ways is that you are familiar with your own deck when you play against it mm-hmm. and your opponent is not familiar with it when they're playing with it yep. so they can either a not figure out the way it goes or b fall into some like pitfalls that you're aware of that you can combat with the cards that you have like let's say for example you know that your deck relies heavily on its artifacts you have some artifact removal you draw early you're like you know what i'm not just going to play this because i know that artifact is a game changer i'm going to hold this because if that drops i know the game's over that is one aspect of the format that I don't think has been discussed very much, although they did do a really good rundown on Sanctimonious this this week, which uh, mm-hmm. was a real pleasure to listen to, especially because, you know, it was such a, a great breakdown of every match that was played over the course of the tournament uh, from the, the Sanctimonious fellows. Um, yeah, Dan has a really good memory because I didn't see him write down any notes, so <laughs> I don't know how he did that unless he was doing it on the sly or something, but yeah, that was impressive. I, I got to give a shout out to Dan for coining the Blake credibility bump. So, you know, yeah, when, that when was Blake great. is involved, you know that it's for real. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, 
always in search of that elusive invite to Worlds Keyforge Championships. Speaking of Worlds, some news out uh, on the official uh, video cast this week. Blake, can you run that down for us? Yeah, so it looks like on the Crucible cast, they announced that after Texas, if you're in the top 100, you have a Worlds invite. If you get bumped after that, your invite still stands, and anyone who creeps onto the leaderboard after that will also get an invite. So it's kind of like 100 plus at that point. So um, basically, you survive Texas, you're in. And then you don't have to worry about it, which I, I think is a is a, a really stand-up thing to do. Because can you imagine if you're like on the cusp and then for some reason you can't make it to that very last vault tour or like it's it's the, the very last vault tour is actually the one on the West Coast. So if most people are on the East Coast and going to the West Coast is a, a big commitment, then you get bumped off just because of that. That would be a real feels bad moment. So I, I think this is a really stand-up idea from ffg and i think it creates a lot of fair play and more excitement and more people eligible to come because i'm sure every not everyone who has an invite or in the top 100 will make it some could be from different countries and the overseas flight i'm sure is uh, definitely going to be an expense so i think this is a really uh really stand-up thing to do I think it's pretty amazing to give people that opportunity where even if, you know, they were only uh, getting one prime in their region or there was no prime anywhere near them, if they're willing to travel or they've put in the time to travel to prime events, giving them that opportunity to go to Worlds. You mean Vault Tours. Sorry, Vault Tours. Giving them that that opportunity to uh, get to Worlds just on the basis of having done relatively well at a couple of different Vault Tour events, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And it really does, I think, open up the idea of this being the Worlds tournament because Definitely. if it's entirely predicated on you winning one of these prime events which you know as we know aren't evenly distributed not every region got one it really does make that a possibility agreed so a couple of weeks ago we promised that we're going to be bringing out some new segments for the year of our lord 2020 and this is one of those new segments it's a brand new one and we call it c plus favorites so uh, I frequently talk about the fact that there's a lot of cards that I love in Keyforge that I think are objectively not great. They're C-plus cards. They're not even a B, which, you know, a B is pretty decent. An A is great. But a C-plus, eh, you're not exactly, like, super choked about it, but you're not exactly excited about it either. But a lot of those cards are cards that I really like because they have something else about them. Um, either there's something neat about the way they play, there's something neat about the artwork, the flavor text, or something else like that. So I thought it'd be fun for us to just talk a little bit about those not super excelling everybody's talking about them cards, but just the fun cards from Keyforge that we kind of enjoy just for what they are. So uh, we're going to get things started here. I picked one that I've been a big fan of for a long time, and it's Kulf the Quiet from the Age of Ascension. It's the only asset he's appeared in. Uh, he is a Brobnar creature, six power, no armor. He's a giant, and he's elusive. So here's the thing. That's not great. Um, a six power elusive with no other powers is why would anybody even want to fight into him in the first place? I guess I could see scenarios in which maybe you managed to get some captured amber or something onto him, or perhaps, uh, you know, he's uh, he's fueling a grump buggy or something like that. But those are so conditional by deck and by situation that I feel like there's just not a lot that most decks that have Kulf in them are going to get out of him value-wise, because Elusive is only great for creatures that have 
some kind of ability that would necessitate them being taken off the board. You know, he doesn't have skirmish, which means when he fights, he's going to take damage. So, you know, I look at him and I say, Kulf is not a great card. But when I look at the art, which is this huge, tough giant lying down in like a field of flowers, and he's holding up one of the flowers and looking at it lovingly, and his flavor text is literally just open quote, dot, 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 close quote. I love it so much because what it says to me is something about Brobnar as a house. It says they're the warlike house and, uh, you know, they're big and they're loud and they're brash and they've got big bodies and they're they're always putting it out there. Except for this one Brobnar giant, Kulf the Quiet. This is the dude who's just chilling in a, a field of flowers and it builds the world of the Crucible for me because it says, you know, even amongst the house uh, that we know for their identity as being big and brash, there's still room for sort of... Uh, you know, a guy who doesn't quite fit in and he's kind of doing his own thing. And I like that. Call the Quiet, not a great card, but I think a card that has a lot of flavor to it. C-plus favorite. What about yourself, Rick? Well, I might get a little bit of question on this one, but I chose Wild Wormhole because, as we know from this podcast, there's often times where in a certain deck with certain cards, if they haven't come out of the deck already... You wild wormhole into them, and your strategy is just screwed for a while, at least a while, if not the game. Um, it's a great card. It, I like the risk reward part of it. You, you're not sure what that, that top card is, but it could be great, could be bad. I'm, I just, I love the adrenaline rush that I get from playing that card. I have decks where it's great. I have decks where it can be bad. So. I always like to see what what it's going to do for me. I think it's a great pick for a C-plus card just because, uh, as we know from some of our conversations here on this podcast, and just in general, when you're playing at a high-level game, a a card like Wild Wormhole can really mess you up because a necessary piece of your strategy to win, what your deck absolutely needs, either to control Amber, to get you to your win condition, or anything else, can be thrown away so early on a Wild Wormhole, and yet it has that temptation to play it. It's always there. Yep, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of people who actually uh, swear off Wild Wormhole. They're they're totally done with it. I I think everyone knows I have a love-hate relationship with that card. (laughs) What's your C-plus favorite, Blake? So I chose a C-plus favorite strictly because of the art, and that is Bumblebird. It's a one-power, untamed creature, beast, insect that is alpha and has a playability of put two plus one power counters on each other friendly untamed creature. Uh, I think you can make an argument it might be the most beautiful, stunning art in the game. It's just such a great uh, piece of artwork by Natalie Russo, and they even made it into a mat for Grand Championship Top 16, which is um, pretty cool, but such it's honestly a useless card. I mean, to have it in a set as an alpha card when you already have glimmer as a much better alpha card almost makes it a dead card if they both exist in the deck and they come together and the fact that you have to start the turn with it is ridiculous like they should have just made this not alpha and put one plus one counter on each other friendly untamed creature i think it would have had so much more value and actually made the card better but the art is like it's so beautiful to look at but more often than not this is a discard and I think most people uh, agree that you just can't play it. And it's like, if you get lucky and it happens to be there when you have it, then it works. But it's it's uh, definitely a C-plus for that reason. 
Yeah, I think one of the reasons that Alpha got really toned down in Worlds Collide is that it was so intermittently successful in AOA. Some Alpha cards were really cool, but a lot of them were just kind of these dead draw cards. I liked how they did like a thematic Alpha this set, because you notice how almost every house had an Alpha action to start your turn which i thought was kind of a, a cool thing to do is so like there's one alpha action in every house and they all has like a really beneficial thing if you can pull it off in in this turn so i thought that was a cool flavor yeah i would definitely agree with you on that one so it's time for us to talk about a, a topic that's kind of the the Khalifi dragon in the room if you will here it is straight up um We've been having a lot of conversations about this, and it kind of burns my biscuits because I'm a person who's always been a huge fan of this house ever since the very beginning of the game. My very first deck I ever pulled had them in it, and I've always been a personal favorite. Um, It's time for us to talk about Brobnar and Worlds Collide, and uh, the fact that I think we've gotten to a point now where Brobnar are kind of universally not liked. Um, Gentlemen, I'm not saying anything we don't agree with. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I'm over it. I'm super over it. Um, One of the things that I want to talk about, and we're generally speaking, I I think, a fairly positive podcast. We like to keep things upbeat. We don't like to complain a lot. And we don't like to, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, sort of uh, drag uh, things that we don't care for because we think that, uh, you know, positivity begets more positivity. But I think there's also room for constructive criticism of Brobnar, and they have become the feel-bad house. You're in a sealed event, you open up your deck, you see Brobnar as one of the houses, and your first thought is, oh no, this is going to be a disaster for me. And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, I've said this before a couple times, and I want to throw it over to you guys. I almost feel like Brobnar was designed for a different set than Worlds Collide. Does that make sense? Yeah, I could see that. It, it it really doesn't make sense with the way that it plays and interacts. Like I, I'm always confused. Like, like there there does exist good Brobnar houses in Worlds Collide, but they are very very few and far between. So it's it's a little bit unfortunate that they have gotten the stigma. And not only that, they seem to show up like almost disproportionately. I don't know mm-hmm. if that is actually true or if it's just that. You notice it because you don't want it, and so therefore you, you're you kind of like, oh my goodness, not this again. Yeah, I'd love to see some statistics around that. I think in all of my Worlds Collide decks, I have the most Brobnar, and I think only maybe one or two of them are good. I mean, it's it's a combination of a lot of factors. Um, I think that, Blake, you bring up a really, really good point, which is the way the set plays really doesn't favor what Brobnar have been traditionally good at. Yep. Um, Brobnar were the fighting house, right? Mm-hmm. And yet so many of the Worlds Collide bodies in Brobnar aren't big enough to actually fight into the big threats from, say, the Saurians. Or they don't have the tools to deal with things like um, the elusive creatures in Star uh, Alliance. Or they don't have the tools to deal with um, all the different ways in which DIS can uh, operate within that. So they're kind of left without any real options. They're a fighting house, but so often the things they try to fight into are just 
not things that they can actually deal with. There's too many big bodies in the Saurians for the Brobnar to be effective at fighting into them. Or there's too much elusive or other factors or wards, what have you, in the other houses, keeping that fighting from be effective. So That's why I kind of feel that they didn't go heavy enough with the assault in Brobnar. Because mm-hmm. like Shorty is definitely one of the the standout cards of Brobnar. And because I feel like it was almost spoiled quite early when we were getting previews for the set. And so it kind of created this, oh, maybe there's going to be more assault. And then you have Skull as well, which I, I'm i a big fan of that card. Love Skull. And those two cards having the assault, that was that's something I wish existed more because of the fact that there is elusive, because there is war, because then it would actually be creating the fight aspect of Brobnar to be putting in work in a positive way that is moving the game forward, feeling Brobnar, and also your overall strategy for dealing with what exists in Worlds Collide. Absolutely. That's the same reason why I think that Fire Breath is one of the absolute best upgrades in the game right now because it provides you so much value in the Worlds mm-hmm. Collide meta. It gets that spray damage, it pumps up your creature, it gives you a little bit of assault. Like, it's fantastic. I love Fire Breath. One of the other feel bad aspects of it, and maybe this isn't even fair to talk about because, you know, all kinds of creatures are designed certain ways for certain reasons. And I certainly am not going to come out here and suggest I know better than Brad Andrus when it comes to designing a game. He made my favorite game, which is Keyforge. You know, how am I going to front on that? But yep. at the same time, I want to talk about the fact that it seems like a lot of Brobnar creatures are just ineffective and there are much better versions of them that exist in other houses. And it's really hard not to look at a card like Flamewake Shaman. Four power, play, deal two damage to a creature. And you go, okay, that's, you know, so-so. And then you look at the Mustic Mermook over in Untamed, which is also a four power creature that deals four damage on play and raises key costs by one. How are those even comparable? Yeah. Or you look at the fact that they reprinted Gargantus Scrapper into Brobnar in this set, which is Lovingly even worse known than as that. Gargantus Crapper. Yeah, he's even worse. He's an alpha card for no apparent reason. And his playability is if you have three or more, deal three to an enemy creature. So he doesn't even go off a lot of the time. Yeah, I don't know why that card's alpha. That makes no sense because it's not good to begin with. Like it's it would have been awesome as just like an uncommon that is not alpha. Yeah, exactly. Um, We've talked about NARP and why NARP kind of seems like a slap in the face compared to these sort of comparably large creatures in other houses. We can talk about Kallak's Stonefather. He's the Brobnar leader, and leaders are, without exception in other houses, pretty great. The only other kind of so-so one is in Shadows, and even that, you know, has some utility. Kallak's Stonefather is literally, while Kallak's Stonefather is in the center of your battle line, each friendly creature gains Skirmish. So he's basically like a bad version of Panpaka Jaga or yep. Panpaka Anga, whichever one gives skirmish. Jaga. Yeah. So like, and that's an uncommon card in Untamed. So why would you ever feel good about pulling Kallok's Stonefather? Isn't it the, a rare? I think all the leaders are rare. Yeah, yeah. So he's a rare versus having a worse power of an uncommon in another house. Again, another perfect opportunity to be like all Brobnar creatures or all creatures gain assault one. Yes. And then it's a ward breaker. It feels very Brobnar. It encourages fighting. It does all the same things you want to see in Brobnar just without the the ridiculousness of something that already exists. Like it's like that card basically is like, oh, I have a six po- a six power body. That's literally how I view that card. Nothing else. Yeah. No, he's he's a he's a feels bad card because when you pull a leader, it should be, oh my God, I pulled a deck with a leader in it. This is so cool. And instead you look at him and you go, Yeah, whatever. 
I don't like, care. Arguably, Cough the Quiet is better than that. <laughs> <laughs> arguably, yeah. <laughs> he's got elusive. He's not He's not leaving the board anytime soon. He doesn't have to be in the middle to have it either. Um, okay, so one of the things that I really want to talk about since I, you know, like I said, I want to keep things positive is things that we'd like to see with Brobnar. Um, a lot of people have been suggesting that they might get dropped out of the next set. We'll find out probably for sure on January 30th. But- I've actually wondered about that is, is like, is Brobnar not as good? So if they go, no one's like, oh, why did you get rid of them? Because I think people were upset that Sanctum and Mars left, but I don't think anyone's going to be like, how could you take Brobnar away from us at this point? Dude, as a Brobnar fan, I want them to take Brobnar away, retool them, and bring them back with something. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about here is things we'd like to see with Brobnar when they re-enter the game. If that happens, if they even leave the game, whatever Brobnar's outlay in the next set is, I want Brobnar to come back like a bat out of hell. I want them to be the best house imaginable. And I have a lot of ideas about how that would work. Um, my first one is I think they got to beef up creatures across the board. They um, do. There are so many four and five power creatures um, in Worlds Collide. Now, admittedly, there's a lot of the Megas. So, I mean, Megas are cool, but I don't see why we need four and five power creatures in Brobnar when, you know, the average Saurian creature is four or five. Very few Saurian creatures are smaller than any Brobnar creature. And so I, I think that the whole thing with Brobnar has always been they're the beefy beef guys. Let them be beefy. Make them big, beefy bodies. Make it worth fighting with them. Make it so that they can survive fights so that you get value out of them. That's one huge thing that I think that could be done to fix them right away. Um, take a card like Alaka. Alaka, I'm sure everybody who's played Worlds Collide Brobnar has seen Alaka. If you have used a creature to fight this turn, Alaka enters play ready. They're a four power. What if they were a five power? What kind of one power bump? How much more would you get out of that? Versus them being a four power. That's one of the things that I think would be almost immediately great. Blake, what thoughts do you have on this? So for moving forward, I would like to see more um, positive like fight abilities. Like maybe play fight abilities. Because we saw there's a lot of play fight reap abilities. And reaping obviously is not something that makes sense with Brobnar. But I think you should have more ways of getting rewarded for fighting by generating ember. So having play fight abilities exist, I think would be a really cool thing. Like more of that. Uh, I like, I like, I'm just going to keep beating a dead horse with this. The assault factor. Like, I just think that'd be so cool in Brobnar, especially with Ward being a thing. It would really promote fighting. Like, I, I really like Shorty. Like everything about that card, the the art, the flavor, the fact that if you do want to reap with it, it gets enraged afterwards. I think, I think that's a cool thing is having an enrage as a, like a, a to sort of, I guess, promote fighting, but at the same time, discourage it so you can't keep reaping with it. And just look at Brobnar to generate Ember in other ways through fighting. Like if it's capturing or which which ideally is a Sanctum, but maybe it's lose one. Like fight, they lose one. Like a Bumpsy sort of thing would be really cool to have that in existence. I kind of want to see a more A card that. that makes somebody into a Grok. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. Exactly. So um, I just want to see more of that in Brobnar. And yeah, I just I just think that I don't even know. The other thing would be to completely redo Brobnar and bring it back in a way that was never envisioned before. And that would be really cool. And I mean, you know, it could be one of the reasons why Brobnar is supposedly not in the next house, if that rumor is true, or next set, is could be because of the fact that if this is this mass mutation where things are cross, you know, cross-pollinating into other houses, I don't see how that works with Brobnar in a way. It, I don't either. 
like it kind of creates a uh, an awkward way to merge houses together. I think having the Brobnar, unless that's something we're going to see is Brobnar is gone, but some of the creatures are now going to exist in a mutated form in other houses, which could keep Brobnar around, so to speak. So the Ganger chieftain shows up in like the Star Alliance or something like that. I'd dig that. I'd be into or that in for Dis, real. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that would, that be, would awesome. be rad. But yeah. I would love to see that. So some of the thoughts I had though was actually about Brobnar cards that did not show up in Worlds Collide that existed in AOA because I think everyone can say that uh, people started to really enjoy Brobnar in AOA and some of the things it had. Uh, obviously a big one is Grump Buggy, but obviously Grump Buggy could not exist in this set because there are so many big bodies It would, and there's already so many ways to increase key costs. I think it would make games almost like unplayable it if would. it existed. Yep. But the big one for me is the card that was just everyone loved it and it was so amazing in AOA was Drummer Knot. And the fact that it wasn't reprinted in this set is mind-boggling to me. Because, I mean, having the Drummer Knot Ganger Chieftain combo still exist in this set would be amazing because, one, it's a bigger board set, so the ability to pull off that combo is not as high, but you could still do the crazy fighting and and dealing with a big board that way. Um, the other thing is, like, you have NARP. So you play NARP down and you put two things next to it, and what if those creatures suddenly, like, things get killed and now creatures you want to reap with are next to NARP? You play a Drummer Knot, put NARP back into your hand and be like, I actually don't want NARP anymore. I'm going to discard it. Or... I'm going to put it over here now because it makes sense over here. So th- there, I just feel there's so many cool cards that exist that Drummer Knot would have added value to this set. Mm-hmm. And like another one I think of is Stiltkin. Because Stiltkin, when you play a giant next to it, you can ready and fight with it. So if you had Drummer Knot, you could literally lift a, a ganger and play it again. And, the, and everyone loves the ganger-Stiltkin combo because you're fighting twice. And so if you could do that again, it does the same thing. Or if you could even put another giant next to it, play drummer not pull it up put the giant down next to it again it gets to fight twice like i feel like there's so much utility that drummer not would have brought to this set and really kept brobnar more exciting than it currently is a hundred percent agreed on that i think that even going back to coda and picking out a couple of the classic cards from there and adding them into the card set for brobnar would give them a lot of value again remember anger some, but yeah i agree anger would have been sweet Anger is such a simple card, but it gives you that pip of amber. It lets a creature fight, ready and fight with a friendly creature. So that's value across the board for all of your houses. Um, I would absolutely 100% love it if they brought back loot the bodies, punch, like all those good classic value actions that give you a little bit of amber or the capacity to create amber through doing what the Brobnar naturally want to do. Put those back into the set or put those into a future set, and I think it would really go a ways to repairing how people feel about Brobnar. The one last thought I had on this is that it would be really cool to see something that we've never seen before with Brobnar. Um, if they could come up with some new mechanics, sort of the way that the Saurians really, really made the most of Exalt more than any other house. Um, if Brobnar could have something that's a little bit their own. Um, like maybe they have an ability that's like they can come in and fight but can't reap on the first turn that they're on the board or some other you know keyword or effect like that something that gives them something special and all their own that their combos work around I think that would be super cool and super like big in terms of making it so that Brobnar feels like they're important and you want to play them again yeah I'd agree yep 
So that's been the 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 Brobnar discussion. We look forward to seeing what happens with them in the future. From the bottom of my heart, I want to see Brobnar be competitive, and I want to see other people playing Brobnar. It's just something that I've always been a fan of, and I'm hoping that uh, this is not the sun setting on them as a house in Worlds Collide. We're running up towards the end of the episode, but of course we couldn't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. It's Help from Future Self. Rick, you got one this week. Oh boy, do I ever. Happened this morning. I'm in a group that's doing tournaments on the Crucible right now, and I was playing my game, and I looked at my Amber count, because on the crucible you can see your hand you can't put it down face down i looked at my hand i looked at my amber i was thinking awesome i can forge next turn and i'll be on my way to my third key i got this game in the bag not a problem got into my head lost a little bit of focus and i didn't see him play two dusk witches i killed something else instead of the dusk witch and then he got a huge turn Knocked me down. I couldn't forge next turn, and he went on and just destroyed me. How did he get two dusk witches? They're omegas. Or maybe it was because it was two turns in a row that I missed them. I don't know because I missed. I know I missed them for a while. But yeah, I just I lost focus because I got in my head because I was so I thought I was so far ahead. Can't do that. Oh yeah, dusk witches unanswers are pretty much a game loss. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> that is one of my absolute favorite things in Keyforge is the fact that witch is basically like the the name of it, it might as well just be called the must remove card. So, you know, the hunting must remove card. Uh, you know, <laughs> the must remove of the eye. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're always must removes and that's a thing that yep. they've managed to keep pretty consistent across all the sets. Amazing stuff. That's it for another episode of Help from Future Self. You can of course find us at patreon.com slash HFFS podcast. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on the Crucible on Instagram, on Twitter. Where can they find you, Rick? On the Crucible at Rickster78 and on Twitter at the Wheeling Keyforger. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on the Crucible at Boulevard Paper Fight, Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight, and Instagram at Boulevard Paper Fight. And I'm always trying to upload new stuff to YouTube, although the Crucible and Coffee will be uh, going by the wayside as I'm preparing for a prime. So I'll try and get some other content up. Word up. Love doing this show. Love chatting with you guys about Keyforge, but we gotta go. Thanks very much for listening, everybody, and until next time, stay fortunate.